Psalm 143, and let's hear the word of the Lord. We see there, it's a psalm of David. Hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my supplications. In thy faithfulness answer me, and in thy righteousness. And enter not into judgment with thy servant, for in thy sight shall no man living be justified. For the enemy hath persecuted my soul, he hath smitten my life down to the ground, he hath made me to dwell in darkness as those that have been long dead. Therefore is my spirit overwhelmed within me, my heart within me is desolate. I remember the days of old, I meditate on all thy works, I muse in the work of thy hands, I stretch forth my hands unto thee, my soul thirsteth after thee as a thirsty land. Selah. Hear me speedily, O Lord, my spirit faileth. Hide not thy face from me, lest I be like unto them that go down into the pit. Cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning, for in thee do I trust. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk, for I lift up my soul unto thee. Deliver me, O Lord, from mine enemies. I flee unto thee to hide me. Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. Thy spirit is good. Lead me into the land of uprightness. Quicken me, O Lord, for thy name's sake. For thy righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. And off thy mercy, cut off mine enemies. And destroy all them that afflict my soul. For I am thy servant. Amen. And we trust the Lord will bless the public reading of his word to our heart. Let's still ourselves in prayer, please. So let's unite in prayer and look to the Lord and <clears throat> seek his blessing upon the word. Our God and our Father, we do thank and praise thee for the opportunity to gather and assemble together in this fashion. We thank the Lord for the meeting house. We can meet the one with the other. But most of all, we can meet with thee. For thou hast assured us that thy presence, O God, is here. And we pray, O God, that thou will give help and grace, even now in the preaching and in the hearing of the word. And Lord, as I stand here, I stand in great need of cleansing in the precious blood from my daily defilement. And we thank thee that the blood of Christ does cleanse from all sin. I pray, Heavenly Father, that thou would fill me with the Spirit of the Lord. And in faith I now take the promised Holy Ghost to help me to preach as thou would have me to preach. I give myself freely unto thee. Lord, I pray that thou will use the word, that thou would guide and lead thy dear people, that thou would instruct them in the things of their God. We pray, O God, the word will be a blessing. The word, O God, will be used for the glory of thy name. We lift up the prayer of Psalm 115. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name. Give glory. May thou thyself be glorified. Hear these things, because I asked them in Jesus' precious and his worthy name. Amen. Now, as we can plainly see from the title of the psalm, it is a psalm of David. And it's said to be the last of the seven penitential psalms. Now, why it's put down as such a psalm is not obvious, but in verse 2, I suppose, we have a hint for the psalmist he acknowledges that he, like all men, is guilty and could not in his own merit stand before uh, the God of heaven. Now, it's been pointed out as well that in the psalm there are 40 truths or lines of thoughts that are 
found or appear in the other Psalms. And this is what we might expect from David, who is said to have written approximately 73 of the Psalms. So this Psalm is, as one man put it, a bouquet from a large garden. Now, as was the case with most of the Psalms, there were circumstances behind a writing of them. But in this case, we're not told the circumstances. The internal evidence of the psalm clearly shows that David was under persecution. We can see that in verse 3. And since he says in verse 9, I flee unto thee to hide me, it is thought that he was actually drawn on his experience of fleeing either from Saul or Absalom his son. The fact is, we don't know and we cannot say. But what we do know is this psalm is a prayer. Verse 1, Hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear unto my supplications. In thy faithfulness answer me, and in thy righteousness. David here, he appealed to God in the grounds of two of God's attributes. He based his prayer on God's faithfulness. In thy faithfulness answer me. And any confidence we have and any hope we have in prayer is based on who God is, and what God is. He is the faithful God. He's always faithful to His character. He's faithful to His Word. He's faithful to His people. God has promised to hear our prayers, and God is always faithful to do as He has said He will do. It is this very quality that moved David to pray. David also based his prayer on God's righteousness and in thy righteousness. God is a righteous God. And when his people are under attack, he will come to the raid, he will defend them, he will do that which is right, he will judge the wicked. And so David bases his prayer on these two attributes of God, God's faithfulness and God's righteousness. Now the structure of this psalm, as we can see, it's quite straightforward. It's two main divisions separated by the word selah that we have there at the end of verse 6. And each of those divisions, well, they have three parts of two verses each. In verses 1 to 6, the first section of the psalm, well, David sets out his situation. He outlines before the Lord the predicament that he finds himself in. And in verses 7 to 12, we have his supplication where he offers petitions unto the Lord. They're very personal in their nature, and we can see that by the language that he uses. We read there, he says, Hear me, cause me, deliver me, teach me, and quicken me. Here was a man who wanted to know the will of God, and not only know the will of God, but do the will of God. And this is essentially a prayer for guidance and direction, and the Word of God is filled with such examples. Now, as we draw near to the election of a church committee, my thoughts over the past number of weeks, many weeks now, have we not been able to escape the words that we have in verse 8? Just some words in it. Cause me to know. Cause me to know. And surely this ought to be the desire of every believer that the Lord would cause us to know, to know His will in this matter of the election of a committee. We read of Paul. Paul prayed for the church at Colossae, that they might be filled with the knowledge of His, that's God's will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that they might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. We also pray 
Well, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And while the Lord is sovereign, He is ordering all things after the counsel of His own will, we have to say that we are not passive. We're not bystanders. We're not observers. We are to know the will of God, and we are to do the will of God. And that applies to the communicant membership as well as to the individual men who will let their names go forward on the list. We can apply what we have here this morning in verse 8 to, yes, the election of the committee, but these words can also be applied to any situation in which we're trying to discern the will of God in order that we might do it. So we're going to look at verse 8 this morning under the heading of those words, cause me to know. Surely that's a prayer that often rises from the child of God's heart. Cause me to know. Firstly, notice with me the request of the psalmist. Now going back to verse 7, the opening verse of the second section, David prays, Hear me speedily, O Lord. My spirit faileth. Hide not thy face from me, lest I be like unto them that go down into the pit. The situation was obviously pressing. And if the answer would be delayed, David, well, he thought it would come too late. He was in darkness. He was desolate. He was desperate. His spirit, as he tells us here, was about to fail him. He was ready to sink and to faint under the weight of the affliction, but also because of his lack of the consciousness of the presence of God. In the last verse of this chapter, we notice that he turns his petitions towards the cutting off of his enemies. But the first and foremost thing that was pressing upon his heart is the fact that he felt cut off from the Lord. And that's why he cries in that verse 7, Hide not thy face from me. That was the first thing that was pressing upon his heart. He felt as if he was cut off from the Lord. David makes the request that God, the Lord, would cause his face to shine upon him, that the Lord would lift up the light of his countenance upon him. In other words, that God would be favorable unto him. The turning or the hiding of the face Well, it was a sign or it was an expression of displeasure that favor had been withheld or withdrawn. And David uses this expression here, Hide not thy face from me, for he desired the evidences of God's loving favor towards him. He was not conscious of them at that time. He wanted fresh discoveries of the love of God. Martin Luther, he remarked in this text, He said, pagans don't care if God frowns or smiles at them. But David was no pagan. He was praying for God's smile. David didn't want to become, as he says, like those who go down to the pit. And this can be either thought of the dead who are in the grave who cannot hear, or else of the ungodly who are headed to the bottomless pit and who have no communion with God. It's very similar language to what we find in Psalm 28 in the verse 1. And he says there, Unto thee I will cry, O Lord my God, be not silent to me, lest if thou be silent to me, I become like unto them that go down into the pit. 
You see, fellowship with God is a desire, it's a comfort of every true child of God in times of difficulty, and especially in times when the way ahead is unknown, as is the case with David here. He wanted fellowship, communion with his Lord. But David not only requested that he might be heard, but also that he might hear. And that brings us into verse 8. Because he tells us there in his prayer, and he cries to God, Cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning. Now communion, or true communion, it's a two-way thing. God, yes, he hears our prayers, but God, he also speaks to us. And David here, he wanted, he needed a word from the Lord. He asked the Lord to cause him to hear. Now, this was not simply the external hearing with the ear, but this was the internal hearing by the Spirit to know and perceive that it was the Lord that was speaking unto him. David, of course, he had family. He had friends. He had counselors. He had commanders. But most of all, he wanted to hear the loving kindness of the Lord. It wasn't that David wanted to hear about God's general benevolence in the nature all around him. It wasn't that David wanted to hear about the gracious provision of God and God's providence. No, he wanted to hear of God's mercies because David was in covenant union with him. Spurgeon said this, There is but one voice that can cheer me. And I'll add this here, There is one voice that can counsel me, especially when I don't know what to do or the way in which I am to go. We need the Lord to cause us to hear Him. You've heard of the cause and the effect relationship. Well, we have it here. God is the first great cause, and the effect is that you and I, we hear. It's not that the Lord hasn't spoken. God has spoken. We have His Word. He has spoken unto us in these last days by His Son, Christ Jesus. But sometimes you and I, we can be slow, we can be dull, we can be deaf to hearing the voice of God speak. And just as the Lord opened the understanding of the two as they walked in the road to a mess, so too it is He that opens the ears of our soul that we might hear His voice. And so David makes this request, cause me to hear. He makes a similar request in Psalm 51 in the verse 8. He says there, make me to hear. And so in those two phrases, cause me to hear and make me to hear, we have set forth the inability and the insensitivity that we often have to the word, to the voice of God. We need Men need the Lord's help in hearing His voice. When we desire to know the way or the will of God, it is very important that we hear from Him, that it is His voice that we hear. Now, that leads to a question, very important question. How do we know that it is the Lord speaking to us? How do we know it is the Lord speaking to us? You see, questions that the earnest believer who is seeking the leading of the Lord, questions that they would often ask themselves is this, 
Am I reading into this? Is God really speaking to me? Have I got this all wrong? And I wonder, does that resonate with you this morning? Are those questions going through your mind? Am I just reading into this? Have I got this all wrong? Is God really speaking to me? Maybe there's some brethren here. And those questions have been floating around in your mind for the last number of weeks. I trust they have been because it shows, it shows that you're anxious not to do the wrong thing. It shows that you don't want let, to let the old flesh rise up and impose self-will on the situation. It shows that you know the gravity of what it means to do the Lord's will. And I trust those things have been coming to your mind. Am I reading into this? Is God really speaking to me? Have I got this all wrong? Because these are important things to understand. How do we know that God is speaking to us? Well, I want to give you two things. And I'm sure there are probably more. But two things as I sat on my study and the Lord brought them to my heart, whereby you can ascertain that it is the Lord's voice that is speaking to you. Number one, the word will come with power. Where the word of a king is, there is power. There will be a power behind that word in so much that it will grab your attention. Weight and authority will be with that word. To varying degrees, it will break you. It will melt your heart. It will humble you into the dust. It will change you, your plans, your direction in life, your attitude. It will abide with you. Though it is a still, small voice, it will powerfully thunder in your soul so that you cannot escape it or that you cannot silence it it will not leave you because it will be attended with divine power. That's how you know it's the voice of God. And that's for any situation. That's not just for the brethren going forward, standing for the committee, but in any situation in life. How do you know it's God speaking to you? It will come with power to your soul. It will not leave you. It will thunder in your inner man. You'll not be able to silence it. That's well, the first mark. The second thing is the voice of the Lord will be marked with peace. It will be marked with peace. Psalm 85 and verse 6, it says, I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for He will speak peace unto His people and to His saints. Now initially, it may trouble the individual, for it may run contrary to their own plans or their own will, but the peace of God will rule in the heart of the child of God. They will come. They will come to a sure disposition that this is a word from the Lord, that it is the voice of the Lord. They will know that it is something that is grasped then and not something that they themselves have grasped that. It is a word by which they will be able to rest upon and draw comfort from something they could not have and could not do if the peace of God did not attend it. Oh, what a peace it brings. 
And that's why we speak about young men or young ladies going into full-time service that they have the word of the Lord because they can lean upon it. When life would bring turmoil to them and press against them, well, there's a word that brings peace. The word of God, let me say, will not leave you with a niggle in your soul. That's how you know it's a word from God. It will be marked by power and it will be attended by peace. It will produce peace in your soul. That's how you know. Two marks at least, that it is the voice of God speaking. David requested here his ear to be opened, that he might hear God's loving kindness, as it tells us in verse 8, in the morning. I can only mention this very briefly, in the morning. But this may be an indication that David was praying in the night season. But he wanted to hear early from the Lord. He didn't want this situation to go on any longer. He needed to hear the Lord's voice and how good and how vital it is to hear God speak to us in the morning. See, when we hear the loving kindness of our God in the morning, that's a word that will abide with us throughout the day. It will benefit us. It will strengthen us. It will succor us. It will guide us. It will instruct us. It will rebuke us. It will provide for us an answer to ask of those who come to us. What is the reason of the hope that is within you? And so David here, he asked the Lord, cause me. Because of his own inability and his own insensitivity to the voice of God, he says, cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning. The request of the psalmist. Secondly, we have and see the reliance of the psalmist. Cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning, for in thee do I trust. And then look at the end of the verse, for I lift up my soul unto thee. Here was a declaration of David's confidence in the Lord. And it gives him a claim both to be heard and helped by the Lord. David wasn't trusting in himself, or his own personal skill or wisdom. He was not trusting in his armies or some general or some political leader of the land. No, David in his prayer declares the object of his trust, the Lord. Let me say, there is no one better qualified, nor is there one more worthy in which you can place your trust in. Now let me pause here for a moment. And let me ask you the question this morning, have you trusted in the Lord for salvation? There's those who sit amongst us who are not seeing. Here's a challenge to you. We're addressing, yes, God's people in discerning the will and the way of God. But what about you this morning? Have you trusted in the Lord? He is one who is worthy of your trust. Let me tell you that. He is one who will save your soul. He, was one, he is one who will do for the sinner all that he has said he will do. But we notice here that this trust of David it was a present reality. A present reality. He does not say, I have trusted in thee. He does not say, I will trust in thee. No, in thee do I trust. And even though David in these circumstances could no longer trust either Saul, who had brought him into his house, or even his own son Absalom, 
who had went behind his back and stole the hearts of the people. David could no longer trust in men, but he could trust in his God. And that's what he declares here. He could trust in his Lord. David was stating the confidence, the ground, and the assurance was on the Lord. And Psalm 118, if you want to turn back there, keeping your mind and your fingers active, Psalm 118, we have well-known verses, verses 8 and 9. And it tells us there, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. And the reason why it is better to trust in the Lord is because of the very nature of God Himself. And that's why David wanted to hear Him. He could trust the Lord. The little word for in verse 8 of Psalm 143, it's used as a conjunction. And it gives the reason why David wanted his ear to be opened. See, he knew what the Lord would say unto him would be true, for God cannot lie. The Lord would not lead him into error. The Lord would not deceive him. He also knew that what the Lord would say to him would be for his good, because the Lord loved him with an everlasting love. He also knew what the Lord would say to him could be relied on, for he is a God who cannot change and one who is faithful to his word. David trusted in the Lord. And that's why he wanted to hear from him. He goes on to say at the end of this verse, For I lift up my soul to thee. Now here's a phrase that David uses a number of times in the Psalms. And it's also an expression of David's reliance. And the reason why I say that it is because it's a language of a soul that is surrendered unto the Lord. He lifts up his soul in prayer unto God as an offering is lifted up before the altar in sacrifice. That's the imagery of the language that we have here. Many of the Levitical offerings, they were lifted up before the Lord by the high priest. And this was a way of David expressing to God in prayer, my all is upon the altar. It's upon the altar. The trusting soul is a surrendered soul. Do with me what you will, Lord. Nothing's held back. There are no reserves. I'm presenting myself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto you. Do with me as you will. Tell me what I need to do. Show me where I need to go. And that's how I'll follow you. I'm lifting my soul up to you. You know, that is how one should approach God as they seek His will. That is a person that God will cause to hear His voice and cause to know the way. It is the one with an open, surrendered, and trusting heart. David did not want to lean on his own understanding. But he wanted in all his ways to acknowledge his God, for he knew and he trusted that his God would direct his path. And that brings me to my last point. We have thought about David, the psalmist's request and the psalmist's reliance, but we have the root of the psalmist. 
or the psalmist's root. He says here in verse 8, Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk. Now there are some commentators and they believe that, that this was a prayer which was literal. That David really wanted to know which route he could take to escape from his enemies who were pursuing and persecuting him. That may have been the case. I don't know. Remember, he was hunted by Saul upon the mountains as a partridge. And maybe he was literally asking God which way to go, around this mountain, this way or that way. I don't know if that was the case, but what we do know, this is a prayer for guidance, a desire to know what to do. And God's guidance is what we need as we draw near to the election of the church committee. And again, David asked God to cause him to know. So something that needs to be revealed to. Something that is to be discovered. He's admitting to God that he doesn't know the route that he should take. And you know, there is nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with that. There is nothing wrong with praying and saying to God, I don't know the way to take. I don't know what to do. This was acknowledgement of David's weakness, that he had limited knowledge. It was also, again, another revelation of his reliance upon the Lord. That he wanted to walk the path that the Lord had laid out for him. It was an expression of his trust. Because not only did the psalmist trust the voice of the Lord, but he trusted the choice of the Lord. See, life has many choices. And before us lie many paths which spread out in varying directions. Many of those paths, they appear pleasant and safe, but if they're followed, if they're walked along, well, that can lead us into error and bring us into destruction. This is why this prayer is so important. Cause me to know the way. This is a prayer of one who believed God had a certain way marked out for him. Notice the definite article is used. Cause me to know the way. Not a way, but it was a specific route that David wanted to walk. God has laid a way down for every man. He regards the individual life. Of course, God gives His general rules and laws in His Word by which we all are to walk. And this in theology is called the preceptive will of God or the revealed will of God. And yet there is also a pathway which is personal to each and every one of us, and that falls within the realm of what is called the decretive will of God, or the will of decree. Paul, he speaks about his own personal pathway in life as he writes to Timothy just before he dies, because he says to Timothy, I have finished my course. My course. So here was a man who believed that God had a definite course marked out for him. But he was also a man, and he prayed as one who believed that God could and would reveal his way to him. Or else he never would have prayed. God does show us the route in which we are to take. He has promised us in Psalm 32, verse 8, I will instruct thee. 
and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Or else there's a wonderful promise in Isaiah 48 and verse 17. Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord thy God, listen, which leadeth thee by the way that thou shouldest go. How comforting it is to have a guide who knows what lies ahead, who will lead us in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. We can be assured that He will cause those who are earnest in seeking the will and the way of God, He will cause them to know the way. Now a question arises from this. How? How does God cause us to know the way? Or how is the will of God discovered and made known? Three things as I close. And I trust this has been beneficial. How do you know it's the voice of God? Power and peace. How does God cause us to know the way? Three things. Firstly, primarily and chiefly, God makes His way known through His precepts. That is His Word. Psalm 119 and the verse 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. On down in verse 133, the psalmist says, Order my steps in thy word. You see, over the last number of Lord's days, we have been instructed from the word of God concerning the office of a deacon. We have seen it is the will of God that the material and the financial affairs of the local congregation is managed and attended to by the deacons. We also heard last week and were reminded of the standard and the stipulations of a deacon, of those whom God wills to be in such an office. We saw that they are to be those who serve. They are to be men who are marked by, firstly, humility, then integrity and ability. And see, God's Word is made known by, or will is made known by His Word. The psalmist, he prayed, send out thy light and thy truth and let them lead me. And over the last number of the Lord's days, God has been sending out His light. God has been sending out His truth to this congregation that you and I might know the will of God. The person who is ignorant of the Word of God will be the person who is ignorant of the will of God. Secondly, God causes us to know the way by the promptings of the Spirit, who applies the Word and who illuminates our understanding. Now, the Spirit does not work in isolation from God's Word. Christ said, when the Spirit has come, He will guide you into what? Into all truth. Not into all feelings, but into all truth. And this is important to keep in mind, for we live in days when the phrase, well, the Spirit said to me, or the Spirit led me, or the Spirit told me, it's often thrown about. And it's a phrase that can often seem that to suggest that the Spirit works in isolation from the Scripture, but that is never the case. One man made the comment, the idea of a life in which the inward voice of the Spirit decides and directs everything sounds most attractive, for it seems to exalt the Spirit's ministry and to promise the closest intimacy with God. Yet, 
The true way to honor the Holy Spirit as our guide is to honor the Holy Scriptures through which He guides. The guidance which God gives is not a matter of inward promptings apart from the Word, but that which the Spirit enlightens us to understand and applies to us from the Word. You see, it's only when you and I bring the objective standard of the Word of God alongside those inward promptings of the Spirit that we can distinguish between what God is saying to us and the Spirit of this world and our own heart. So the precepts, the promptings, and a third way God causes us to know the way is through His providence. And again, this cannot be taken in isolation from the Scripture or, or from the Spirit. For example, maybe someone's praying for a life's partner and, well, providence has brought someone into their workplace, but they're not saved. Well, that's contrary to God's Word. So you just can't depend on providence. But providence is, comes into the, uh, the evaluation of this. Providence is a means by which God makes known His way and His will. Providence at times shuts us into the will of God. It hedges up our way so that we know the way in which we are to go. For example, let's use the election of the church committee. There may have been a man or men that you were thinking about. You were thinking, well, that would be a good man to have in a church committee. But he's taken his name off the list. Well, providence there is causing you to know, well, that's not the man. Or maybe there's men here. And because of work commitments, or the stage you are in life, or your health, you cannot fulfill the obligations and responsibilities that are required of serving as a deacon. And again, this is God's providence revealing to you the way in which you are to go, and you have taken your name off the list. Doesn't mean you're out of the will of God. But this is how God causes us to know the way, by His providence. And so these things, when brought together, the precepts, the promptings, and the providence, are how God causes us to know the way, the route in which we are to go in life. Now, as I close, you might say to me, Mr. Stewart, if God causes people to know the way, why are there more than 16 names on the list for the election of the church committee? Now, I've been thinking about that. And there are a number of reasons, but one reason. One reason, I believe, is that the Lord leads men along this path. Yes, even men who will not be elected in order. In order that we might have a choice. In order that we, through prayer, the precepts of Scripture and the promptings of the Spirit have an opportunity to discern the Lord's will, to obey God's will, to have delight in doing God's will, and of being instruments of bringing His will to pass. That is why. As I said at the start, we are not passive bystanders or observers. We are to know the will of God. We are to do the will of God. And that's why there's more than 16 men on the list. That you and I might have the opportunity to discern the will of God. 
to study the Scripture, to listen to the promptings of the Spirit, to consider divine providence that you and I might have the delight to do God's will. That's why, you see, that uh, vote on that Tuesday night. Be a part of that. Christ was the one who said, I delight to do the Father's will. And you and I, as God's people, the communicant membership, this is why more than 16 men, that you might have an opportunity to pray, to listen to the Spirit, to look at providence, to be fulfillers of the will of God. That's why. And can I say, therefore to the brethren, in the light of that, if you do not get elected, you are to resist the devil's attack because he will come. And what will he say? Say, you're foolish. You got that all wrong. Or you're out of the will of God. No. No. It was God's will that this congregation would have a choice in order that we might bring about the will of God and delight in doing so. Let's take the words of David, cause me to know, and use them as our own prayer when we are seeking the will and the way of God. What wonderful words. Cause me to know. And he will. He will by his grace, through his word, the operation of the Spirit and His divine providence as He brings His will to pass. Let's bow in prayer. I trust it's been helpful. I know application has been made to the church committee and the election of deacons. But we all need to know the way in which we are to go. And I trust that the Lord will use His Word for the glory of His name. Father in heaven, we come before Thee, we bow in Thy presence, and we thank Thee, Lord, that You have a plan, a purpose for this world. There is Thy will of precept, and we know that men often break Thy laws, Thy commands, but we thank Thee, Lord, that Your decretive will will never be broken. It will be fulfilled. You will lead this people. You will cause us to know. You will have the men in office whom you have determined to have there. And we rejoice in this. But Lord, we have a responsibility to search our hearts, to evaluate the men before us in the list, to pray to thee, to listen to the promptings of the Spirit as we have illumination from the Word, as we, Lord, listen to your guidance and we look at divine providence and all these things. Lord, help us, we pray. Cause us. Cause us to hear. Cause us to know. Lord, we lament our own illability. Lament our dullness and our deafness and our slowness and our dimness. All these things. But we thank Thee that Thou art merciful. We think of David, who on down, a few verses later, says, Teach me to do Thy will. Good and upright is the Lord. And we thank Thee, Lord, that Thou will lead us into the land of uprightness. And we pray, O God, that Thou will bless 
in coming days. As we draw near and close, Lord, last day for maybe men to take their name off. But Lord, we pray that you will lead us and guide us. And Lord, may thou thyself be glorified. We thank thee, Lord, we have a part to pay, play. We're not robots, but Lord, we are your children, and we can delight to do your will, just as our blessed Savior delighted to do all that lay before him. We thank thee for the way that he walked to Calvary, and we thank thee, Lord, for his blood shedding. Hear our prayer. And now, Lord, part us with thy blessing. Remember the nursing home team this afternoon. Give them great power. Favor with the people. May it be a blessing unto the residents. O God, and then bring us again this evening to thy house to hear thy word. Lord, remember the Youth Challenge Week. All these things we lead before thee. We thank thee that thou art sufficient for them all. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship and the communion of the Spirit be the portion of us, thy people, for this day and forevermore. For we ask this in Jesus' precious and worthy name. Amen.